We'll be in Luke chapter 18 for this evening. Luke chapter 18. Just as a side note for that, if you're going to sing A Mighty Fortress, you've got to sing the first. If you sing the first stanza, you've got to sing the second one. Because if you end on the first, you leave it with the devil winning. And so you've got to have Christ come into the picture on the second verse. So when you sing that, make sure you get the second verse in there so that he takes care of the devil. Uh, Luke chapter number 18 is where we'll be. Uh, tonight, I'm guessing most of you have already studied this passage. You've heard a sermon on it uh, before in your time. And I'm hoping that nothing of this information that you will be given tonight will be new. I'm hoping this will be um, something that you already have understood. But sometimes it is nice to get a, a refresher and to be reminded of things that you have heard already. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8 is a passage talking about prayer. And this is a passage that has um, really the Lord has been using in my life in a variety of, of ways. Um, we're really changing my, my prayer life. And it's talking about praying without fainting, continuing to pray. When you're praying for something, persevering in that prayer. And maybe you'd raise your hand. How many of you would say, yeah, I started praying for something, I lost hope, and then I gave that thing up? How many of you... All right, we could all, we could all raise our hand. Got discouraged. Said, ah, God's not working here. And throw that one away. Uh, from our knowledge of Scripture, though, we, we understand. Oh, we're supposed to continue to persevere. We're praying without ceasing. How about a second one? How many of us would be willing to admit that you wondered if your persistent prayers were actually making a difference? Are they actually effective? I've, I've prayed for this thing for 30 years, maybe. Is God doing anything? Are my prayers just bouncing off the wall, falling to the floor? All the expressions that we use. Is it even working? And so I think this begs the question. Is there a basis for persistent prayer? And can I have confidence in persisting prayer that it's actually working? And I think this passage is going to help on both fronts. And so when I conclude this lesson, what my hope is, when we walk out these doors, we can walk away settled on two main areas. First, that by faith, we can grab the facts that will free us to persist in prayer. Grabbing the facts that will free us to persist in prayer. And second, give direction to our persistent prayers to where they will be most effective. There might be, we might need to go walk away from here and rearrange how our prayer list looks. Are we continuing praying for something that, you know, that might just be against the Lord's will. So hopefully tonight's lesson will give some direction. And as we think of prayer as a whole, the Bible has much to say on it. So don't, don't throw everything away. Right, you've got to bring this piece of the puzzle into the rest but this is a slice of the pie. This is a type of praying, an area of praying, if you will. Um, but don't lose the rest of what the Lord has said on prayer. So tonight, let's look at, let's look at Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he spake a parable unto them to this end. So here's the point of the parable given to us at the beginning. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared God, feared not God, neither regarded man. 
And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor, re nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust jud judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Gary, is my mic hot? I feel like it's ringing in my ears up here. If it's not out there, that's fine. I can deal with it. But it just feels like it's blowing me away at the moment. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us from this passage. Father, tonight we have come to you because we are a needy people. Father, it's not because we are a very devout religious individuals that has brought us out in the middle of this week. But Father, we have recognized you are our only source of hope. And if we can't find it in you, then there is no hope. So, Father, we have come tonight hungry, hungry for your word, and we ask you that you would feed us with the living bread, feed us Christ tonight, that we may go full, go away full from here, and not eat the scraps that the world would want to give us. Father, I ask that your spirit would move here tonight, and that we would um, be able to grab hold of the truths that you have laid out um, before us this evening. So, Father, by faith, we move forward expecting you to teach us. And, Father, we bless your name this evening because you are a God who has spoken and your words are beautiful. And so, Father, we praise you that we get to open this book and learn. We ask that you would teach us in your name. Amen. All right, so I've hopefully in the notes laid out my points very simply, and we'll work through this. Uh, just as a, as a side note, when I was teaching this this morning, the first couple notes, uh, the first couple uh, points here are longer, and so they get shorter as we go, so don't feel like, oh, point number one just lasted forever, we're going to go to three o'clock in the morning. All right, unless the spirit moves, that's not going to uh, take place. As we read through this story, we can see number one, there is an adversary. There is an adversary. All right, so this woman, this widow, comes, asks the judge, avenge me of mine adversary. Uh, this adversary has gained some sort of advantage over this widow, and she needs help. Do you recognize in our world we have an adversary? The devil, number one, is real. We have an adversary. This passage, this parable, the adversary here is referring to the devil. The devil is real. You realize, and I'm hoping this is not new, he's not a simple cartoon character with a red costume with pitchforks. Right? He's not in hell. That is the last place he wants to be. Right? He is comfortable with us having that mentality of him. Or he's just a cartoon figure, just a funny little, ca funny little character that is not doing anything. This is not our adversary. That is inaccurate. The devil is a real threat. He is powerful. 
He is active. He's not a cartoon character. Number two, the devil is defeated. This is a point that needs to be made right now. And if you miss this, then the rest of what we're going to be arguing here for tonight has no basis. If the devil is not defeated, and I believe he is, then the rest of this passage can mean nothing for us. If you remember back in Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It, the seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. All right, who's doing the bruising of the head here? All right, this is Satan's head. Who's doing the bruising? Right, Christ. He is bruising the head of the devil. When does this bruising, so this is in the garden, when is this, uh, sorry, not bruising, crushing. He's crushing the head. Um, uh, yeah, crushing the head of the devil. When does this crushing take place? At the cross. This is not some future event in Revelation. The cross has crushed the devil's head. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 for as much then as uh, the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Christ came with this purpose. On, he took on human flesh, and his death destroyed the devil. He is a defeated foe. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 also talk about this. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us. Took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In other words, this wasn't a minor victory. This was a triumphant victory, a massive crushing of the devil. Right now, at this very moment, the devil is a defeated foe. Now, when you look out your window and you turn on your television, does that appear to be the case? All the chaos and the mess that we are seeing in the world, we, we think, wait a second, if the devil's crushed, then why does the world look like this? And this is where we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, the world looks like the devil is in control, but the reality is, by faith we grab hold of, the devil is already crushed on the cross. The, the Lord has disarmed him. Now before the cross, I think scripture gives us the idea that it, maybe it appears the devil had rightful authority on the earth before the cross. All right? So in the wilderness temptation, the devil offers the Lord the kingdoms, uh, these world powers, and for that temptation to actually be tempting, there had to be an element of truth there. So it appears from this that the devil has had a little bit of authority. Uh, he's called the prince and the power of the air. He's called the god of this world. But at the cross, after the cross, the devil has no rights left on planet earth. He has no authority here. Jesus Christ, the king of kings, has conquered this foe. At this very moment, the devil is defeated. He has no authority here. And again, if this is not clear in our minds, then the rest of this passage and the things we're going to be arguing here aren't going to be um, applicable. 
If the devil is still in control, our praying uh, will have no effect. So the devil is real. The devil is destroyed. Number three, the devil is roaming. And so, yes, while he has been uh, is rendered powerless, he is still on the loose. There will be a time when he will be bound and he will be thrown into the bottomless pit. That day has not come, but at this moment, he is allowed to roam. And he is still influencing and active in this world. Maybe I can give you two illustrations that will, will help uh, get this idea that the devil is destroyed, he is defeated, but he is still active. Uh, think of World War II. At the end of the war, we dropped uh, a couple nukes on Japan, and they surrendered. September 2nd, 1945 is the official surrender date of Japan. Did you know later on, after the war, they were still finding Japanese soldiers on the surrounding islands still fighting? They hadn't got word that the, the war was over. Uh, so there was a private uh, in one of the, the forces there. Uh, a task force went to the island, found him, and forced him to surrender. And this was on December 18, 1974. Right? This is 29 years, 107 days after the war was over, that this guy was still fighting the war. Look, in, at the cross, the nukes were dropped on the devil. He has been defeated, but he is still active 2,000 years later. He's still fighting. Uh, maybe another illustration to help us. Uh, maybe a gardening. How many of you are gardeners out here? You like to be in the, the garden. All right, well, when I was a kid, my dad decided it would be a, a good idea to take our massive front yard and turn it into this giant landscape uh, with waterfalls and this little stream that runs down with all of these flowers, and they're... There was a lot of ground that my dad wanted to tear up. And so he gets out his tractor and mows all of these weeds and all of these thistles and thorns that had been growing up in the front yard and just mows this thing flat. And then he brings on all these boulders and this creek bed and uh, all these flowers. The weeds have been pushed out. They have been mowed over. They have been wiped out. And it is the rightful spot now of these plants to grow there. But if you know anything about gardening, if you leave that garden unattended, what's going to happen with the weeds? They're going to come back, and they're going to start popping up all over the place. Look at the cross. Christ bulldozed the devil. He is no longer have any authority here on planet Earth. But he is left here to roam, and he is like a weed popping up everywhere and still has influence. And we do know that he is still dangerous, and he is still active. 1 Peter 5.8, we talked about this. The pastor talked about this a couple weeks ago. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. All right, so we have an adversary. He is real, but he is defeated. But at this time, he is still active in this world. And this is very key that we understand he has no authority even though he is still roaming at this point. He has no footing, he has no legitimate reason to be here. Now here, here is the catch to all of that. The devil only has authority where we give it to him. The devil only has authority to where we give it to him. So that part of your life that you are you know, wrestling with that sin still, you are allowing the devil in there. 
You, are, you, you have given him some sort of authority to have a foothold in your life. The reality is, with the Christ life within, you in Christ, Christ in you, he has no authority to be there. You have a new life in Christ. The devil has no legitimate place to be there. But when, he, but when he's there, it's because we are allowing him to be there. So number two, we have an adversary. And we see in this passage, the adversary has gained the upper hand. I think in parentheses it might be helpful to put a foothold. I meant I was going to change that, but the, the papers had already been printed. So the adversary gained a foothold might be a better way to think about this. In this passage, the woman is coming because her adversary has gained some sort of advantage. He's got a foothold in this situation in her life, uh, and she knows this isn't right. And so she takes that to the judge. But this adversary has gained a foothold. Now, we do need to be, we do need to be clear here. Number one, the devil is not always at fault. Everything bad in the world cannot be pointed at the devil did that. Anything you know, terrible that happens, it's not always the devil's fault. And the two thinkings I have here is, one is common corruption. Uh, so Monday night, so at my father-in-law's house, we were fixing the strut on my car. The, uh, where the strut bolts onto the frame, the frame had rusted away, and so there was no place for the bolts to actually attach to. And you know, this thing has been bouncing around and you know, giving me hear permanent hearing damage. Uh, every bump you hit, it's Right, I can't say, the devil sat back there with a hacksaw and cut my, my strut. No, this is rust. This is a, you, the part of the fall. Adam, when he sinned, the ground was cursed, and now there is decay and destruction that just happens as a natural part of the curse. Uh, so don't give the devil credit for things he didn't do. Common corruption. Uh, letter B is human stupidity. Uh, when I, if I walk out of here tonight and I slam my hand in the car door going home, I can't say, oh, the devil just slammed the door in my hand. No, this was me. This is my stupid, put my hand there. This is my fault. So not everything can be chalked up to the devil. All right, now why am I wrestling with this point? It seems pretty clear. But why, why am I wrestling with this point? I think this passage, as it teaches us to persist in prayer, however, yes, this passage teaches us to persist in prayer, but the content of the parable reveals where to apply this persistence. So in the wide spectrum of praying, it is narrowing us down. Persistent prayer in this category. Persisting prayer where we see the devil has an advantage, where we see the devil at work, where he has a foothold. This is a place in which you can target with your persistent prayer. Now, you might be able to argue from other passages. Uh, like I said, don't throw the rest of the prayer out of this, this discussion. You might be able to argue from other passages that praying for your grandma's health for 15 years on end, you could argue that. But from this passage, I think he is putting us into a narrower box. Where you see the devil at work, that's where you go after it. That's where you persist in prayer. So praying, men ought always to pray and not faint. The parable goes on to say, Avenge me of mine adversary, where the devil has a foothold. So most likely, your grandma's health that you're praying about is not caused by the devil. There might be situations that might be, uh, the devil might be able to do that, but it could just be a natural, most times it's just a natural cause of living here on planet Earth. The devil is not necessarily the, the culprit there. 
So I am simply arguing from this passage that uh, is pointing us to persistent prayer where we see the devil at work. And so then number two, if we are, you know, the devil's not responsible for everything, then how do we see where he's at? And the point number two is the, devil ha- the devil's work has identifiable marks. You can look around and see, okay, where can I identify where he's at work? Number or letter A, deception. Deception. Anywhere there is a cloud of deception on somebody where they are living in a lie, you can be sure the devil is at work there. The deception is the devil's main method of attack. John 8:44 reveals this. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He is a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. He is a liar, and the father of it. The devil has mastered the craft of deception. He is a liar. Now analyze your life this last three and a half days. Right, since Sunday till now, how many decisions this week did we make based on a lie? How many decisions did we make that were based on a lie? The addiction, we are convinced, can't be broken. That's a lie. The impulse buying, because we think this item will satisfy. It's a lie. My sleep is more important than spending time with the Lord. That's a lie. Road rage will make me feel better. That's a lie. Uh, Discouragement tells us the Lord's not working. It's a lie. All these little decisions that we made throughout the day, the devil has put it in our minds that this is right when it's actually a lie. Deception is the work of the devil. Now you can also look around the world and see this. The devil has a foothold out there of deception. And it makes sense. If God's people, who have the Holy Spirit within, who has the Christ life within, who has the truth in front of them, and they're still being deceived by the devil, how much worse is it going to be out there? And we see all the chaos and the, all the, the things that are happening out there. They don't have the truth. The devil has this influence on them. The co-worker who is uh, depending on their good works to save them your neighbor who claims there is no God, the friend who is considering an abortion, the parent who believes they need to control their adult children's lives, the politician who wants to pass an anti-God law, the church that waters down the gospel so as to not be offensive. Right? Deception is all around us. This is the devil's main method of attack, and he's good at it. The devil is a liar. He is a master. So as we look to persistent prayer, where is the devil at work deceiving? Deceiving you, deceiving me, deceiving your friends, deceiving their political scheme. This is where we can target our persistent prayers. Letter B, division, dividing, division. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is a destroyer. Specifically, what I want to deal with is a destroyer of relationships. Wherever there is abrasive conflict between people, suspect the devil is at work here. It doesn't take long to think of many situations, right, where the devil is causing people to separate. 
longtime childhood friends who get angry and never talk to each other again. A family reunion that turns into a boxing match. Uh, the couple that gets a divorce. Siblings that won't have anything to do with each other. Kids who won't come home for Christmas. Church members who won't sit on the same side of the auditorium. We see church, churches splitting, denominationals, denominations splitting, political parties dividing, nations rising up against nations. This is the devil's handiwork. He is splitting us. He is dividing us. He wants us to be angry and bitter at each other. And typically, this is actually a fruit of letter A. Somehow the devil has deceived you into thinking you need to separate from that individual. He has twisted somebody's words. Everywhere we look, where there is war, fighting, anger, and bitterness, suspect the devil is at work. This point might be get a little thick here, so bear with me. Let's be real personal here at Hope Baptist Church. Right, the devil is a divider. He wants to divide. Where, what relationship, what relationships here at Hope Baptist Church, if the devil were divide it, to divide it and cause tension there, would inflict the most damage at our church? Whose relationship does he need to get between to cause the most damage here at Hope Baptist Church? That would be high on the list, but I do not believe that is number one. That would be, again, high on the list, but not number one. Carla? That would be high on the list, and yes. Uh, sorry, I should bring it down. Human levels. Yes, if he destroys your relationship with God, then yes, we're absolutely going to have problems here. I'm, I'm sorry, I should have specified. Human relationships. Again, high on the list. That would make massive ramifications. I'll give you the... Deacons, again, high on the list, but not number one. In my opinion, okay? That would be, uh, again, high on the list. <laughs> all right, so we got all of them. <laughs> in my opinion, if the devil were to work in my wife against pastor's wife and Amber, those three where the two of them or all three of them get feisty at each other, a cat fight breaks out, that is going to have massive ramifications on the entire church. That breaks out because now there's tension in all of the pastoral leadership families. It's going to affect me and my wife. Those relationships are going to come down to you. I'm not going to be able to minister effectively. My wife has major importance in how I minister here. And if she is unsettled here and there's division there, that is going to affect how I work. That's going to affect how pastor works. And so I'm not saying this because I suspect there's, there's trouble here. I think they have a wonderful relationship, and I am privileged. But what it is is a warning to my church family. Do not throw gasoline and matches on those relationships. Do not sow seeds of dissension between the pastoral wives. Please, I'm begging you. I do not think the Lord would deal kindly with you if you had any part of that. These six things that the Lord hate, these seven are an abomination to him. All right, there it is. That's thick. Let's move on. Number three, 
the widow repeatedly takes her case to the judge. All right, so this is this adversary. He has taken advantage of this widow. What does the widow do? She doesn't fight the adversary. She takes it to court. The widow repeatedly takes her case to the judge. Number one, the widow has a legitimate case. And I think this is another major point that we need to get across here. All right, they, the, the judge does not turn down the widow because it's not a case that's winnable. He's turning it down because he is an unjust judge. He doesn't care about righteousness. He doesn't care about people. The widow knows this is a legitimate case. The Lord puts this parable in a legal setting here. And we find this judge doesn't dismiss the woman because she doesn't have a legitimate case. He keeps dismissing her because he's unjust. The phrase, avenge me, is a cry for help, a cry for freedom, a cry for deliverance from this enemy. The adversary has gained this advantage, but the woman recognizes he has no rights here. He can't do that, so she is seeking freedom. And your point here in this blank, uh, anywhere the devil gains an advantage, there is a legitimate case against him because of the cross. The cross has already ruled against the devil. He has no authority to wiggle his way in, cause this division and his deception. So anywhere that the devil is at work, the cross has already ruled in favor of Christ and righteousness. And so you can bring that case before the Lord. The devil has no authority on earth, but yet he is still active. So when the, de the devil is at work, the basis of Christ's finished work on the cross uh, allows us to confidently take the case to the judge knowing it is legitimate. Look, and this, the woman can continually come over and over and over to this judge because she has a legitimate case. There's confidence in knowing my case is right. There is a fact that we need to know. It gives us motivation to keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Avenge us of our adversary is a winnable case. Avenge us of our adversary is a winnable case. It's right, it's legal, it's appropriate. The devil has already been defeated. Number two, the widow does not attempt to avenge herself. Right? So the adversary takes advantage. She doesn't turn the guns on the adversary. The devil, the adversary has already gained an advantage, and to try to work that out by herself would allow that adversary to gain another foothold in this situation. And so instead of doing that, she turns to the judge, uh, the rightful uh, channel to go through. And I do think the Lord put a widow in this uh, spot rather than a bodybuilder for a reason. It's not a strong man who's been taken advantage of. It is a widow. All right, now there are some widows here at Hope Baptist Church that I simply would not want to tangle with. <laughs> you know, if I get my, you know, if I, I cross wrong with a, one of the widows here, they're going to put me on the ground, and they could deal with me. All right, but here, when we understand the context of biblical times, uh, they're often the case that the widow is, um, uh, is vulnerable, uh, is, is without uh, help at times. And so he's putting the Lord, he's put here a widow, as there's somebody who's helpless, who needs who cannot take care of the, ad the adversary by herself. Look, and that's the same with us. The devil is a strong being. And if we were just to simply go out on our, our own to attack him, he's going to put us flat on our back. 
All right, so let's say family division is starting to happen, um, and you're noticing it, and so instead of going to the Lord, you call a family meeting, and you just start going guns blazing in there, you're going to make the situation worse. The devil is going to have a stronger foothold there. There might be time for for family conference to come together, but by the Lord's direction, in the name of the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> the widow goes through the correct channel. She takes her case to the judge. We take our case against the adversary uh, to our Lord, the, the righteous judge. Number three, the widow pleads until justice is given. The widow pleads until justice is given. In other words, she doesn't give up. She knows she has a legitimate case. It's winnable. So she continues to plead. Uh, letter B, I guess that probably is not in your notes. She doesn't have any other hope. So she pleads for a long time with this judge and keeps going over and over and over and over again. And I just imagine the situation. The judge is at Walmart and the widow comes over and sees him in the aisle. Avenge me of mine adversary. Okay, no, 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 I can't, I'm not doing that. So he goes over to... Uh, to uh, Goodwill, and the lady follows over there. Avenge me of my adversary. He goes to the park. Avenge me of my... Everywhere he goes, uh, night and day, she is coming to him, pleading, give me uh, freedom from my adversary. I have a case. I need you to rule on this. She doesn't give up, doesn't give up. She has a winnable case. She doesn't have any other hope. Remember the 500th time that she's come to the judge and he said no, she doesn't say, okay, whatever, let me just go handle it my way, or let me find somebody else to do this. She has one hope, this judge. She continues to come over and over and over. Number four, the unjust judge rules in the widow's favor. The unjust judge rules in the widow's favor. All right, we see here this unjust judge. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about God. doesn't care about righteousness. And so he holds off. And the lady just keeps persisting and persisting and persisting. And eventually he breaks. The lady got on his last nerve. He says, okay, I'm going to, to do it. And so we see that he just, he withheld until he couldn't stand it anymore. Number two, we see he judged, the judge ruled for wrong reasons. The motivation for him to actually rule in the lady's behalf is not for proper reasons. Uh, the first reason here is for his public reputation. The wording here of he wearies me uh, and the underlying words uh, has the idea to give somebody a black eye. Now, this is not talking, you know, fist fighting and punch a guy in the eye, give him black eye. Black eye in a public setting where people look down at you like, what? Are, your, your reputation is at stake here, a black eye in the community. You're just you're at Walmart, right? There's people all around. Avenge me on my adversary. So all the, the public is looking at this situation. He goes to the next spot. Avenge me on my adversary. And now the public is looking. And over and over and over again, this guy gets, you know, if this continues, the, the public's going to be like, who is this judge? Let's throw him out. And so for his public reputation, he rules on uh, the case. Letter B, for self-preservation. For self-preservation. This guy is worn out. He is sick and tired of this lady coming over and over and over again, and it's going to kill him off. He's not getting sleep. It's always on his mind. He's worried at every corner this woman's going to be here. And so out of self-preservation, he says, you know what? Fine. I need to get you off my back. Bad reasons. He has wrong motives. 
Number five, the Lord is not an unjust judge. This parable is a contrast of the Lord. He is not an unjust judge. We see here that the woman had to come over and over and over again, wear the guy out, complain and nag, in order to get this guy to actually do what is right. And this is a contrast, because the Lord is not an unjust judge. You don't have to wear him out. <clears throat> Number one, he hears the cry of his people. When you come to the Lord with a clean heart, with proper motives, uh, wanting to do his will in the right way, he hears. He delights in the cries of his people. He is bending his ear low to hear us. He's not dismissing us. He's not pushing us away. We don't have to break down the door in order for the Lord to hear us. He delights in hearing the cries of his people. Number two, the Lord will rule for right reasons. Letter A, he loves justice. He's not an unjust judge. He is a just God. Do you know, our continual pleading with the Lord is not to try to convince him to do the right thing. You don't have to convince the Lord to do the right thing. He already wants to do it. God is just. He is right. You don't have to convince him to do it. Psalm 37, 28, the Lord loveth judgment or justice and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved uh, forever, but the seeds of the wicked shall be cut off. And I think that it changes how you pray. God, would you please come and help us? Trying to beg him to come. But you can pray in the confidence, Lord, you want to help me. Father, I'm asking you to come because you want to. It changes how you pray. <clears throat> Letter B, he loves his people. The woman had to wear him out the unjust judge, to get him to rule. You don't have to wear God out. He loves his children. He delights in helping him, helping their children, his children. Number three, the Lord will come speedily. The Lord will come speedily. And this is probably where we get tripped up the most. You say, I've prayed for 35 years on this thing. This doesn't seem fast to me. Look, the Lord said he will come speedily. This judge, wait, 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 the, old, the unjust judge, wait, 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 and then I'll rule. The Lord comes quickly. Now, our human flesh eyes do not always see what the Lord is up to. When you cry to the Lord, uh, letter A here, uh, the Lord acts when we pray. The Lord is not just sitting around in heaven twiddling his thumbs when you're praying. He's working. He is active. And again, we walk by faith, not by sight. We have this passage here that says, He comes quickly to avenge his people. Now, letter B, the Lord does not operate on our timetable. Right? We think 35 years is a long time. And, you know, from a human, human perspective, it is. But from the God who inhabits eternity 35 years is nothing so from god's timetable 35 years is is quick but i do think when we pray the lord is acting but he doesn't always uh, the the full accomplishment does not always happen in our timetable 
uh, he works and he moves and he is bringing that thing that you are praying for along in stages. We may not always see what he is doing. Number six, this is more, let's get to the application here. We've gone through all of this. Let's get to some uh, take home. Number six, bring your case before the Lord. Bring your case before the Lord. All right, so this passage is teaching us to pray persistently. Pray, pray, pray. But it has channeled it in, this passage specifically, where do you see the devil at work? Where has he gained an advantage? You're continually coming to the Lord in this area. God, I see the devil at work in my life. I have believed this lie. Avenge me of mine adversary. Father, the, my sister over here is in this deception, adventure. Where do you see the Lord at work? Or sorry, the devil at work. Target your prayers there. Number one, come helpless. Come helpless. Avenge me of mine adversary is a cry for help. And the actual reality of it, if you think you can manage on your own, you will not cry out to the Lord. If you think that you don't need him, crying, avenge me of mine adversary is not something you're going to do. But when you recognize I have an adversary and he is powerful and I cannot deal with him on my own, you are in a good spot to cry out to the Lord, avenge me of mine adversary. You cannot deal with the devil yourself. Number two, come believing. Come believing. Look, the Lord is not looking for a robotic replay of avenge me of mine adversary. Avenge me of my adversary, avenge me of my adversary, avenge me of my adversary. That is vain repetitions. If you think that the sheer volume of times that you plead this, that the Lord is, okay, you've said it 600 times now, then I'll, I'll rule on your case. He's not looking for that. Right? What does our verse say? Will he find faith on the earth? Look, we talked about at the beginning. You know, uh, let's see if I can get back to it. All right, we asked our, our other questions, you know, is there confidence that I can pray persistently knowing that my prayers are actually effective? And I, I said, when we walk out the door, we want to settle two things. By faith, grab the facts that will free us to persistent prayer and give direction to our persistent prayers so that they can be effective. What are the facts? It's underneath number two, come believing. If you understand the devil has no authority, no rights here. Whenever he moves and takes an advantage somewhere, you have a legitimate case against him. If you understand and believe that, there is freedom to pray continually. You grab hold of, this is right, this is just. I can take this to the Lord and he will act. And letter B is believing that the Lord is a righteous judge who will act. So you believe both of these things. This frees you up. Instead of you know, wondering, are my prayers even working? Are they just bouncing off the wall? No, here is what the Lord has said. That these prayers, that the devil has no right, and we have a righteous judge. You, by faith, grab hold of those, and you continue to pray. And when it doesn't seem like the Lord is working, you go again to those facts. No, we have a righteous judge. Oh, the devil just seems like he just, he's too strong. No, he has no right here. The Bible has ruled. The cross has ruled. The judge has said he will rule on our behalf. Wrestle again the facts. Don't let your emotions take control. 
believe. Come believing. Number three, come repeatedly. Come repeatedly. Right? Will not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night? Now remember, the, the, the Lord is not somebody we have to wear out in order for him to rule on our behalf. Right? He is a just judge. He wants to act. So what is this persistent praying then? Think of it more on the side of the adversary. Uh, letter A here, the devil does not willingly leave. The devil does not willingly leave. So we used the gardening illustration um, when we first started out. When you have a weed sprout up overnight, how hard is it to deal with that? And it's done, right? Very easy. Take that same weed and let it grow for a year. Now how hard is it? Take that same weed, let it grow for 35 years. How hard is it? Right? There's some weeds, you know, you pull it right out. There's some weeds that have been there a while, and you've got to get out the pickup truck with, um, with a chain and yank the thing out. Look, the longer the devil is allowed a foothold, the tighter his grip is in a situation. And so let's say you're praying for somebody's salvation, somebody who's 50 years old. The devil has had 50 years to wind his deceiving tentacles into uh, this person's mind. And so praying once is not going to loosen the devil. It, it loosens them up, right? There, it does work, but it's not enough to yank out the weed yet. Persistent prayer is loosening his grip, loosening his grip, loosening his grip. Uh, a person, you could also think of weeds. You, know, you let them go. It's not just one weed that pops up. It, you, know, you let it go, and the weeds just take over. And so perhaps a guy, he's 35 years old, he's 35 years of weeds growing up into, uh, in his mind, the devil has sowed seeds of deception everywhere. One prayer, ten prayers, is not probably enough to de-weed the garden. And letter B, the devil does not willingly stay away. So as we pray, the devil doesn't want to go. He's not just going to say, well, he prayed once, I'm out of here. The devil's going to hold his ground as long as he possibly can. But then when he is gone and people stop praying for that situation, the devil will creep back in. And you pray for a situation and you, you give up on it. You've started pulling weeds and now you've stopped praying. The devil now has a chance to come back in. So this persistent praying is continually loosening the grip that the devil has on this situation. So continuing to pray, to pray, to pray. The Lord is working every time we pray, is de-weeding this guy's mind of all the deception, of this division. He is unraveling the devil's tentacles slowly but surely. Now, you can disagree with me on the finer points of theology here. It won't bother me. Don't tell me about it because I don't want to argue in the hallway later. I do believe in a free will. I do believe that, ma that the Lord has given man a, a choice to accept him or deny him. And so when we pray that the Lord, for somebody's salvation, we're not praying that the Lord overrule a guy's will into heaven. What we are doing is asking the Lord to pull the devil out of the situation, that this individual can judge clearly between the two. A guy who has got the devil whispering in his ear, he's, all the facts and this whole situation is jumbled. When we pray and the devil is removed, this guy now has a clear judgment, a clear frame of mind to judge right and wrong. And so that is more the frame when we are praying this way, is to 
Lord, avenge us of our adversary. Pull the devil out of this situation. Allow the righteousness and truth of Jesus Christ to be seen and acted on. Avenge us of our adversary is a plea that you can make continually throughout the day. Let me give you one simple way that I personally have been applying this, and my dad and my sister and a few other people who have been thinking through this passage lately. We often complicate our Christian life, and we think, in order for my, my prayers to be effective, I need to be on my face for 45 minutes pleading with God. Now, there are times for that. There are most certainly times for that. But what I'm going to ask you to think about is the seven seconds you have between activities. So here's how I pray. Uh, I'm just going to make something up. Uh, Father, my, I, my neighbor is considering an abortion, and the devil is working, uh, deceiving that this is a good thing. I ask that you avenge her of her adversary. About seven seconds, very simple. And I can do that while I'm brushing my teeth. I can do that while I walk to my car from this door. I can do that sitting in the seat and there's a pause in the sermon. You can bring your pleas before the Lord. Father, this situation, the devil is ravishing our family. I ask that you avenge us from our adversary. We have a case. The devil has no right to be here. Avenge us of our adversary. Father, this individual over here, I'm noticing this and are under the weight of deception here, avenge this individual of their adversary. Father, in my life, I've noticed my mouth. I, it's not being controlled by your spirit. Avenge me of mine adversary. Seven seconds to plead each one of those things. Maybe not even seven seconds. And as you are going from individual thing to individual thing, you can plead this consistently throughout the day. And every time you plead, avenge me of mine adversary, the devil has to let go. The Lord is at work. Christ trumps him. The cross has already ruled on the devil's behalf. Avenge us of our adversary. It is a winnable case. Let's take it to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are excited here tonight that the cross has already ruled, that the devil has already been defeated. Father, I ask that you would forgive us for allowing the devil into our situations uh, and getting, letting his hand and his deception work. Father, we ask here at Hope Baptist Church, avenge us of our adversary. Each individual in this room has an area in which the devil has a foothold. Avenge us of our adversary. Father, we pray for our government and the deceptive work that the devil has uh, done for years. Avenge us of our adversary. Father, for each individual family here tonight, where there's maybe some dissension and division and people who will not talk to each other. Father, avenge us of our adversary. Christ has already ruled, so Father, we ask that you would come quickly and de-weed the devil out of each situation. Father, we pray this knowing that you are a just and kind judge who listens to the, the pleas of your people. So we pray this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.